Chapter Four of Child Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Women Teachers and Girl Scholars. A godly young woman of special parts who was fallen into a sad infirmity the loss of her understanding and reason which had been growing upon her diverse years by occasion of giving herself wholly to reading and writing and had written many books her husband was loath to grieve her but he saw his error when it was too late for if she had attended to her household affairs and such things as belonged to women, and not gone out of her way and calling to meddle in such things as are proper for men whose minds are stronger, she had kept her wits and might have improved them usefully and honorably. From History of New England by Governor John Winthrop sixteen forty while the education of the sons of the planters in all the colonies was bravely provided and supported the daughters fared but poorly the education of a girl in book learning was deemed of vastly less importance than her instruction in household duties but small arrangement was made in school for her presence nor was it thought desirable that she should have any very varied knowledge that she should read and write was certainly satisfactory and cipher a little but many girls got on very well without the ciphering and many alas without the reading and writing there had been a time when english girls and english gentlewomen had eagerly studied latin and greek and wise masters such as erasmus and colet and roger ascham had told with pride of their intelligent english girl scholars but all that had passed away with the good old times in the seventeenth century english gentlemen looked with marked disfavor on learned women sir ralph verney who adored his own little daughters to the neglect of his sons and was tender devoted and generous to every little girl of his acquaintance wrote about the year sixteen ninety to a friend quote, let not your girl learn latin or shorthand the difficulty of the first may keep her from that vice for so i must esteem it in a woman but the easiness of the other may be a prejudice to her for the pride of taking sermon notes hath made multitudes of women most unfortunate had st paul lived in our times i am confident he would have fixed a shame upon our women for writing as well as for speaking in church Unquote. occasionally an intelligent father would carefully teach his daughters president coleman of harvard was such a father he gave what was called a profound education to his daughter jane a letter of his to her when she was ten years old is worthy of full quotation my dear child i have this morning your letter which pleases me very well and gives me hopes of many a pleasant line from you in time to come if god spare you to me and me to you i very much long to see your mother but doubt whether the weather will permit to-day i pray god to bless you and make you one of his children 
I charge you to pray daily, and read your Bible, and fear to sin. Be very dutiful to your mother, and respectful to everybody. Be very humble and modest, womanly and discreet. Take care of your health, and as you love me, do not eat green apples. Drink sparingly of water, except the day be warm. When I last saw you, you were too shamefaced. Look people in the face, speak freely, and behave decently. I hope to bring Nabby in her grandfather's chariot to see you. The meanwhile, I kiss your dear mother and commend her health to the gracious care of God, and you with her to his grace. Give my service to Mr. A. and family, and be sure you never forget the respect they have honored you with. Your loving father, Boston, August 1st, 1718. Jonathan Edwards was an only son with ten sisters. In 1711, when he was eight years old, five of these sisters had been born. The father, Timothy Edwards, went as chaplain on an expedition to Canada. His letters home show his care and thought for his children, girls, and boys. Quote, I desire thee to take care that Jonathan don't lose what he hath learnt, but that as he hath got the accidents and about two sides of propria que maribus by heart so that he keep what he hath got i would therefore have him say pretty often to the girls i would also have the girls keep what they have learned of the grammar and get by heart as far as jonathan hath learnt he can keep them as far as he hath learnt and would have both him and them keep their writing, and therefore write much oftener than they did when I was at home. I have left paper enough for them which they may use to that end. end Conditions remain the same throughout the century. The wife of President John Adams, born in 1744, the daughter of a New England minister of good family and social position, doubtless had as good an education as any girl of her birth and station. She writes in 1817, quote, My early education did not partake of the abundant opportunities which the present days offer and which even our common country schools now afford. I never was sent to any school. I was always sick. Female education in the best families went no further than writing and arithmetic. In some few and rare instances, music and dancing. End quote. On another occasion, she said that female education had been everywhere neglected and female learning ridiculed, and she speaks of the trifling, narrow, contracted education of American women. Girls in other colonies fared no better than New England damsels. The instruction given to girls of Dutch and English parentage in New York was certainly very meager. Mrs. Anne Grant wrote an interesting account of her childhood in Albany, New York, in a book called Memoir of an American Lady. The date was the first half of the 18th century. She said, quote, It was at that time very difficult to procure the means of instruction in those districts. Female education was in consequence conducted on a very limited scale. Girls learned needlework, in which they were indeed both skillful and ingenious, from their mothers and aunts. 
they were taught too at that period to read in dutch the bible and a few calvinistic tracts of the devotional kind but in the infancy of the settlement few girls read english when they did they were thought accomplished they generally spoke it however imperfectly and a few were taught writing unquote. william smith wrote in seventeen fifty six that the schools in new york then were of the lowest order the teachers ignorant and women especially ill-educated it was the same in virginia mary ball the mother of george washington wrote from her virginia home when fifteen years old quote, we have not had a schoolmaster in our neighborhood till now in nearly four years we have now a young minister living with us who was educated at oxford took orders and came over as assistant to reverend kemp the parish is too poor to keep both and he teaches school for his board he teaches sister susie and me and madam carter's boys and two girls i am now learning pretty fast Unquote. the catechism of health an old-time child's book thus summarily and definitely sets girls in their proper places query ought female children to receive the same education as boys and have the same scope for play answer in their early years there should be no difference but there are shades of discretion and regards to propriety which judicious and prudent guardians and teachers can discern and can adjust and apply we seldom find any recognition of girls as pupils in the early public schools sometimes it is evident that they were admitted at times not devoted to the teaching of boys for instance in may seventeen sixty seven a school was advertised in providence for teaching writing and arithmetic to young ladies but the girls had to go from six to half-past seven in the morning and half-past four to six in the afternoon the price for this most inconvenient and ill-timed schooling was two dollars a quarter it is pathetic to read of a learning hungry little maid in hatfield massachusetts who would slip away from her spinning and knitting and sit on the schoolhouse steps to listen with eager envy to the boys as they recited within when it became popular to have girls attend public schools an old farmer on a country school committee gave these matter-of-fact objections to the innovation in winter it's too far for girls to walk in summer they ought to stay at home to help in the kitchen the first school for girls only where they were taught in branches not learned in the lower schools was started in seventeen eighty in middletown connecticut by a graduate of yale college named william woodbridge boston girls owe much to a famous teacher caleb bingham who came to that city in seventeen eighty four and advertised to open a school where girls could be taught writing arithmetic reading spelling and english grammar his school was eagerly welcome and it prospered he wrote for his girl pupils the famous young ladies accidents referred to in another chapter and under his teaching newspapers were to be introduced in the school at the discretion of the master 
this is the first instance i believe in any country of the reading of newspapers being ordered by a school committee there were always dame schools which were attended by small boys and girls rev john barnard of marblehead massachusetts was born in sixteen eighty one and was educated in boston he wrote in his old age a sketch of his school life he says quote, by that time i had a little past my sixth year i had left my reading school in the latter part of which my mistress had made me a sort of usher appointing me to teach some children that were older than myself as well as some smaller ones and in which time i had read my bible through thrice my parents thought me to be weakly because of my thin habit and pale countenance unquote. the penultimate sentence of this account evidently accounts for the ultimate it also appears that this unnamed school dame practiced the monitorial system a century or more before bell and lancaster made their claims of inventing it the pay of women teachers who taught the dame schools was meagre in the extreme the town of woburn massachusetts reached the lowest ebb of salary in sixteen forty one a highly respected widow one mrs walker kept a school in a room of her own house the town agreed to pay her ten shillings for the first year but after deducting seven shillings for taxes and various small amounts for produce etc she received finally from the town one shilling and three pence for her pedagogical work Elizabeth Wright was the first teacher in the town of Northfield, Massachusetts. She taught a class of young children at her own house for twenty-two weeks each summer. For this she received four pence a week for each child. At this time she had four young children of her own. She took all the care of them and did all the work of her household made shirts for the indians for eight pence each and breeches for englishmen for one shilling sixpence a pair and wove much fine linen into order for the summer school at franklin connecticut in seventeen ninety eight a qualified woman teacher had but sixty seven cents a week pay men teachers who taught both girls and boys usually had better pay but samuel appleton in later life the well-known boston merchant and philanthropist was my great-grandfather's teacher in the year seventeen eighty six his pay was board lodging and washing and sixty-seven cents per week and it was deemed liberal and ample there were always in the large cities small classes where favored girls could be taught the rudiments of an education and there were many private teachers who taught young misses boston gentlewomen from very early days had a mode of eking out a limited income by taking little girls and young ladies from country homes especially from the southern colonies and the barbados to board while they attended these classes and recited to these teachers many honored new england names appear among the advertisements of those desiring boarders mrs deming wrote to her niece anna green winslow telling her of two boarders she had quote, had i time and spirits i could acquaint you of an expedition the two sisters made to Georgester, a walk begun at sunrise last Thursday morning, dressed in their damasks, pagesoy, gauze, ribbons, flappets, flowers, new white hats, white shades, and black leather shoes, Paddington's make, and finished journey, garments, ornaments, 
all quite finished on saturday before noon mud overshoes never did i behold such destruction in so short a space bottom a parcel coat fringed quite round besides places worn entire to floss and besides frays damasked from shoulders to bottom not lightly soiled but as if every part had rubbed tables and chairs that had long been used to wax mingled with grease i could have cried for i really pitied em nothing left fit to be seen they had leave to go but it never entered any one's thoughts but their own to be dressed in all even to loading of their best what signifies it to worry ourselves about beings that are and will be just so i can and do pity and advise but i shall get no credit by such like the eldest talks much of learning dancing and music the spinet and guitar embroidery dresden the french tongue etc the younger with an air of her own advised the elder when she first mentioned french to learn first to read english and was answered law so i can well enough already you've heard do what she calls reading i believe poor creature well we have a time of it Unquote. there is a beautifully written letter in existence of elizabeth saltonstall sent to her young daughter elizabeth on july twenty sixth sixteen eighty when the latter was away from home and attending school it abruptly begins quote, betty having an opportunity to send to you i could do no less than write a few lines to mind you that you carry yourself very respectively and dutifully to mrs graves as though she were your mother and likewise respectively and lovingly to the children and soberly in words and actions to the servants and to be sure to keep yourself diligently employed either at home or at school as mrs graves shall order you do nothing without her leave and assure yourself it will be a great preservative from falling into evil to keep yourself well employed but with all and in the first place make it your daily work to pray earnestly to god and that he would keep you from all manner of evil take heed of your discourse at all times that it not be vain and foolish but know that for every idle word you must certainly give account another day be sure to follow your reading omit it not one day your father doth propose to send you some copies so you may follow your writing likewise i shall say no more at present but only lay a strict charge upon you that you remember and practice what i have minded you of and as you desire the blessing of god upon you either in soul or body be careful to observe the counsel of your parents and consider that they are the words of your loving and affectionate mother elizabeth saltonstall present my best respect to mistress graves your brothers remember their love to you Unquote. old madam coleman who had somewhat of a handful in her grandson richard hall during his school days was given charge of his sister sarah in seventeen nineteen to care for and guard while she received an education when missy arrived from the barbados she was eight years old she brought with her a maid the grandmother wrote back cheerfully to the parents that the child was well and brisk as indeed she was all the very young gentlemen and young ladies of boston brahmin blood paid her visits and she gave a feast at a child's 
dancing party with the sweetmeats left over from her sea store her stay in her grandmother's household was surprisingly brief she left unceremoniously and unbidden with her maid and went to a mr biddings to board she sent home word to the barbados that her grandmother made her drink water with her meals her brother wrote at once in return to madame coleman we were all persuaded of your tender and hearty affection to my sister when we recommended her to your parental care we are sorry to hear of her independence in removing from under the benign influences of your wing and am surprised she dared do it without our leave or consent or that a mr binning receive her at his house before he knew how we were affected to it we shall now desire mr binning to resign her with her waiting-maid to you and to our letter to him have strictly ordered her to return to your house and you may let her know before my father took her departure for london he desired me peremptorily to enjoin it and my mother and myself back it with our commands which we hope she won't venture to refuse or disobey unquote. but no brother could control the spirited young damsel three months later a letter from madame coleman reads thus sally won't go to school nor church and wants a new muff and a great many other things she don't need i tell her fine things are cheaper in barbados she says she will go to barbados in the spring she is well and brisk says her brother has nothing to do with her as long as her father is alive u hall wrote in return saying his daughter ought to have one room to sleep in and her maid another that it was not befitting children of their station to drink water they should have wine and beer the grandmother was not offended with him or the children but shielded the boy from rebuke when he was sent from one school to another said proudly he was a child of great parts ye best dancer of any in town and could learn as much in an hour as another in three hours the bill for the dancing lessons still exists richard's dancing lessons for a year and a quarter cost seven pounds sally's for four months two pounds four months instruction in writing and pens ink and paper was one pound seven shillings and fourpence the entrance fee for dancing lessons was a pound apiece sally learned to sew flower write and dance the brisk child grew up a dashing belle and married major john wentworth brother of governor benning wentworth good brother richard writes quote, i heartily rejoice in sally's good fortune and hope molly will have her turn also but it would not have been fair to let sally dance barefoot which i hear molly expected would have been done sister molly married first adam winthrop and then captain william wentworth the two sisters were left widows and lived till great old age in the famous old wentworth house in portsmouth new hampshire both dying in seventeen ninety mistress agen blair of williamsburg virginia married one colonel john bannister of petersburg her letters even in old age are full of a charming freedom of description and familiarity of language even amounting to slang which are very unusual in correspondence of that day they are printed in the history of the blair and braxton families she writes to her sister mrs braxton of the latter's little daughter betsy in the year seventeen sixty nine betsy is at work for you i suppose she will tell you to-morrow is dancing day for it is in her thoughts by day and her dreams by night mr Fearson, 
was so surprised to find she knew so much of the minuet step and could not help asking if miss had never been taught so you will find she is likely to make some progress that way mr ray by reason of business has but lately taken her in hand though he assures me a little practice is all she wants her reading i hear twice a day and when i go out she is consigned over to my sister blair we have had some few quarrels with one battle betsy and her cousin jenny had been fighting for several days successively and was threatened to be whipped for it as often but they did not regard us her mamma and self thought it necessary to let them see we were in earnest if they have fought since we have never heard of it she has finished her worked tucker but ye weather is so warm that with all ye pains i can take with clean hands and so forth she cannot help dirtying it a little i do not observe her to be fond of negroes company nor have i heard lately any bad words chief of our quarrels is for eating of those green apples in our garden and not keeping the head smooth i have had hair put on miss dolly but find it is not in my power of complying with my promise in giving her silk for a sack and coat some of our pretty gang broke open a trunk in my absence and stole several things of which the silk makes a part so imagine betsy will petition you for some i am much obliged for the care you have taken to get all my duds together i cannot find you have neglected putting up anything for betsy Unquote. it will readily be seen from all these letters that whether the little girl was taught at home or in a private school to sew flower write and dance were really the chief things she learned, usually the only things, save deportment and elegance of carriage. To attain an erect and dignified bearing, growing girls were tortured, as in English boarding schools, by sitting in stocks, wearing harnesses, and being strapped to backboards. The packthread stays and stiffened coats of little Miss Custis were made still more unyielding by metal and wood busks the latter made of close-grained heavy wood these were often carved in various designs or with names and verses or ornamented with drawings in colored inks and made a favorite gift all these constraints and accessories contributed to a certain thin-chested though erect appearance which is notable in the portraits of girls and women painted in the past century the backboard certainly helped to produce an erect and dignified carriage and was assisted by the quick graceful motions used in wool-spinning the daughter of the revolutionary patriot general nathaniel green stated to her grandchildren that in her girlhood she sat every day with her feet in stocks strapped to a backboard she was until the end of her long life a straight-backed elegant dame many of the portraits given in this book plainly show the reign of the backboard the portrait of elizabeth storer facing page ninety eight is perhaps the best example it is authenticated as having been painted by smibert when the subject was but twelve years old but she is certainly a most mature-faced child another straight-back portrait opposite page one o eight is the famous one immortalized in rhyme by dr oliver wendell holmes that of dorothy q the daughter of judge edmund quincy the poet's lines are more simply descriptive than any prose Quote, grandmother's mother her age i guess thirteen summers or something less 
girlish bust but womanly air smooth square forehead with uprolled hair lips that lover has never kissed taper fingers and slender wrist hanging sleeves of stiff brocade so they painted the little maid who the painter was none may tell one whose best was not over well hot and dry it must be confessed flat as a rose that has long been pressed yet in her cheek the hues are bright dainty colors of red and white and in her slender shape are seen hints and promise of stately mien Unquote. it would be no effort of the imagination to stretch the poet's thirteen summers or less to thirty summers of associate interest is the portrait of elizabeth quincy her sister facing page one twelve the faces hair and dress are similar but the parrot is replaced by an impossible little dog elizabeth is somewhat fairer to look upon dorothy is certainly nothing handsome on the back of the portrait is written this inscription it pleased god to take out of life my honored and dearly beloved mother mrs elizabeth wendell daughter to honorable edmund quincy esq march seventeen forty six age thirty-nine years her brother edmund quincy married her husband's sister elizabeth thus the two elizabeths exchanged surnames and dorothy q married edward jackson the desire of girls and women to be ethereal and slender delicate and shrinking began over a century ago but reached a climax in the early years of this century to effect this severe measures were taken in girls schools dr holmes wrote in jest but in truth too quote, they braced my aunt against the board to make her straight and tall they laced her up they starved her down to make her light and small they pinched her feet they singed her hair they screwed it up with pins oh never mortal suffered more in penance for her sins unquote. though madame coleman a boston puritan told so proudly of her grandchildren's dancing that accomplishment or rather integral part of a little lass's education had not been quietly promoted in that sober city in early years both magistrates and ministers had declaimed against it in sixteen eighty four increased mather preached a strong sermon against what he termed gynecandrical dancing or that which is commonly called mixed or promiscuous dancing of men and women be they elder or younger persons together he called it the great sin of the daughters of zion and he bursts forth quote, who were the inventors of petulant dancings learned men have well observed that the devil was the first inventor of the impleted dances and the gentiles who worshipped him the first practitioners of this art Unquote. of course he could not be silent as to the dancings of miriam and david in the bible but disposed of them summarily thus those instances are not at all to the purpose preaching against dancing was as futile as against wig-wearing horrid bushes of vanity soon decked every head and gay young feet tripped merrily to the sound of music in every village and town dancing could not be repressed in an age when there was so little other excitement 
so great physical activity and so narrow a range of conversation and after a time ordination balls were given when a new minister was ordained dancing was a pleasant accomplishment and a serious one in good society the regard of it as a formal function is proved by the story of the marquis de chastelieu told of the philadelphia assembly a young lady was up in a country dance spoke for a moment to a friend and thus forgot her turn the master of ceremonies colonel mitchell immediately came to her side and said severely give over miss take care what you are about do you think you came here for your pleasure it was a much more varied art than is ordinarily taught to-day signor sodi taught rigadoons and paspies in philadelphia john walsh added the spanish fandango other modish dances were alaman valleys de la cours devonshire jigs minuets complicated contra dances were many in number and quaint name the innocent maid a successful campaign priest's house clinton's retreat blue bonnets the orange tree a letter from an interesting little child shows that dancing was deemed part of a liberal education philadelphia march thirtieth seventeen thirty nine honored sir since my coming up i have entered with mr hackett to improve my dancing and hope to make such progress therein as may answer to the expense and enable me to appear well in any public company the great desire i have of pleasing you will make me the more assiduous in my undertaking and i arrive at any degree of perfection it must be attributed to the liberal education you bestow on me i am with the greatest respect dear papa your dutiful daughter mary grafton richard grafton esq newcastle delaware unquote. we have much contemporary evidence to show that music as a formulated study was rarely taught till after the revolution but there never was a time in colonial life when music was not loved and clung to with a sentiment that is difficult of explanation but must not be underrated dr john earl given in his microcosmography the character of a puritan woman or a she precise hypocrite says she suffers not her daughters to learn on the virginals because of their affinity with the organ yet i find judge sewell a true puritan taking his wife's virginals to be repaired i suppose she played psalm tunes on them spinets and harpsichords were brought to wealthy citizens copies of old-time music show how very elementary were the performances on these instruments listeners were profoundly moved at the sound but it would seem far from inspiring to-day the notes of slender harpsichords with tapping twinkling quills or carolling to a spinet with its thin metallic thrills even the new clementi with glittering keys gave but a tinny sound girls raised a tune however to these far from resonant accompaniments and sung their ballads and sentimental ditties unhampered by thoughts of technique and methods and schools many of these old musical instruments are still in existence the harpsichord bought for little miss custis is in its rightful home at mount vernon by revolutionary times girls boarding schools have sprung into existence in large towns and certainly filled a great want one new england school 
hallowed with romance was kept by mrs susanna rawson who was an actress the daughter of an english officer and married to a musician she was also a playwriter and wrote one novel of great popularity charlotte temple eliza southgate brown gives some glimpse of life at this school in her letters she was fourteen years when she thus wrote to her father quote, honorable father i am again placed at school under the tuition of an amiable lady so mild so good no one can help loving her she treats all her scholars with such tenderness as would win the affection of the most savage brute i learn embroidery and geography at present and wish your permission to learn music i have described one of the blessings of creation in mrs rawson and now i will describe mrs lyman as the reverse she is the worst woman i ever knew of or that i ever saw nobody knows what i suffered from the treatment of that woman this mrs lyman kept a boarding school at medford eight girls slept in one room the fare was meagre the age and the education kept close company with the fare moravian schools at bethlehem pennsylvania were widely popular president john adams wrote to his daughter of the girls school that one hundred and twenty girls lived in one house and slept in one garret in single beds in two long rows he says how should you like to live in such a nunnery eliza southgate brown wrote a pretty account of this school Quote, the first was merely a sewing school little children and a pretty single sister about thirty with her white skirt white short tight waistcoat nice handkerchief pinned outside a muslin apron and a close cap of the most singular form you can imagine i can't describe it their hair is all put out of sight turned back and no border to the cap very unbecoming and very singular tied under the chin with a pink ribbon blue for the married white for the widows here was a pianoforte and another sister teaching a little girl music we went through all the different schoolrooms some misses of sixteen their teachers were very agreeable and easy and in every room was a piano Unquote. she also tells of the great dormitory the beds of singular shape high and covered a single hanging lamp lighted at night with one sister walking patrol though the education given to girls in these boarding schools was not very profound they had at the close of the school year a grand opportunity of showing off in a school exhibition mary grafton delaney wrote when thirteen years old to her father from a philadelphia school i went to madame b's exhibition there were five crowns two principal for eminence in lessons and virtue they were crowned in great style in the assembly rooms in the presence of five hundred spectators mrs quincy wrote of a school which she attended in seventeen eighty four of what she termed the breaking up Quote, a stage was erected at the end of the room covered with a carpet ornamented with evergreens and lighted by candles and gilt branches two window curtains were drawn aside from the center before it and the audience were seated on the benches of the schoolroom the search after happiness by mrs moore the milliner and the dove by madame genlis were performed in the first i acted euphelia one of the court ladies and also sung a song intended in the play for one of the daughters of urania but as i had the best voice it was given to me 
My dress was a pink and green striped silk. Feathers and flowers decorated my head, and with the bracelets on my arms and paste buckles on my shoes, I thought I made a splendid appearance. The only time I ever rode in a sedan chair was on this occasion, when after being dressed at home, I was conveyed in one to Miss Ledyard's residence. Hackney coaches were then unknown in New York. In the second piece, I acted the milliner, and by some strange notion of Miss Ledyard's, or my own, was dressed in a gown, cap, handkerchief, and apron of my mother's with a pair of spectacles to look like an elderly woman a proof how little we understood the character of a french milliner when the curtain was drawn many of the audience declared it must be mrs morton herself on the stage how my mother with her strict notions and prejudices against the theatre ever consented to such proceedings is still a surprise to me all parents did not approve of these exhibitions major delaney wrote with decision to his daughter that he lamented the boldness and overassurance which accompanied any success to such performances and which proceeded he deemed from callous feeling these plays were merely a revival in old fashion when english school-children took part in miracle plays or mysteries in the seventeenth century schoolmasters took great pride in writing exhibition plays for their pupils dreary enough these acts or interludes are one forced all the characters to act anomalies of all the chiefest parts of grammar oh the poor lads that therein played their parts End of chapter four